0: Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of Venturesuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings
1: Product Launch Rebels, this is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today I'm stoked to introduce you to my guest, Chad Hetherington. As a highly respected retail super agent and entrepreneur, Chad is one of the most connected individuals within retail today. Since moving from Australia to the US in 2007, he has orchestrated some of the most compelling retail programs, generating more than 500 million in retail sales. As the former VP of sales at Quirky, Chad led business development and was responsible for growing the retail channel from zero stores to 50,000 stores within five years, including Target, Home Depot, Amazon, and Walmart. He is now founder and CEO of The Stable. It's a retail sales agency that represents innovative and disruptive consumer brands across retail licensing and creative partnerships. Chad's training and education has been a bit unconventional, but his drive has landed him a very successful career, and he credits much of his success to his brash all-or-nothing approach. So listeners, with Chad's insights today, we're in for a real treat. To learn more about Chad's current company, The Stable, check out the website at thestable.com. Chad, thank you for being here, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast.
2: Thanks, man. It's awesome to be here. I appreciate you uh, inviting me.
1: I'm so excited. So Chad, within this podcast, there are really three core segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the Let's Get Personal component, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business Chad, it's time to rock and roll. Are you ready for the interview? Let's do it, man. Great. Give me the basics. So, Chad, number one, as you heard, I provided an introduction about you and your company, The Stable. But in your own words, describe your company, its mission, and what it does.
2: Absolutely. So, we started The Stable about uh, 15 months ago now. Um, it was a four-year project of um, of uh, figuring out how I wanted to go about this. Um, the business I'm in is has been around for a while and it, it, its purpose is to help brands get to retail. And uh, so many of these these companies exist here just in, in Minneapolis and around the country. And, and I, I was looking to try and do it differently. So. Uh, I basically built a model that uh, I feel is is very different to what what others are doing and and its core mission is really to help brands. Our our purpose as salespeople and and, and representation of brands is to uh, help them find unique opportunities out there uh, around everything that touches retail. So uh, we have a core business that helps uh, brands, big or small, uh, at both Target and Best Buy. And our role is to help them not only sell their product into those stores, but help them scale it and make sure operationally that it runs perfectly. Uh, A lot of our team have come from those uh, retailers and have expertise uh, in in how to drive business there. Um, So the brands um, work closely with these folks here every day to make sure that they are successful. Uh, We have a a launch business that helps young companies who have just come off crowdfunding uh, or uh, have been um, seed-funded or or Series A funded and might not have that expertise in-house yet on retail or business development, and they hire us to basically work on their behalf to help find them the first retail partner to launch with. Uh, And then thirdly, what we're going after is... is, uh, very interesting to me and something that i feel is really the future of what our business means and that's helping brands finding new opportunities and helping brands kind of find new opportunities uh, across kind of different channels so um, given the fact that we're so closely connected to retail manufacturing and brands we believe our 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 role um, and our network can serve really well to our brands and, and help them find partners out there that they could interact and do business with and us being at the centerpiece of that, not only finding those opportunities, but helping them close them.
1: When a new company comes to you, what do you look for in that company in terms of their products, some of the features, benefits, the messaging?
2: Um, Yeah, you know, uh, I I won't say that I don't look at the products and features and kind of where they they sit within the market. We obviously do a very in-depth kind of um, uh, study, you know, every brand that we look at. Uh, the biggest thing for us is story. Uh, we're looking for brands that are out there trying to tell a story, that are trying to do things differently, that are trying to disrupt categories um, and, uh, and, and have a team that internally uh, can, can successfully pull it off. Um, those are the companies that inspire us and, and the companies that, you know, we've seen the most success with kind of so far.
1: Chad, give us a few examples of the types of companies you work with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite companies that we work with today is a company called Ring. Uh, you guys may have seen them on CNBC. They're, uh, they're very big into uh, into TV ads right now and kind of all over promoting their product. Uh, Ring is a connected uh, doorbell, which um, at first it's a connected doorbell. That's, that's what the product exists for. Um, what I like about what they're trying to do is their mission is to kind of help reduce crime. So um, they've seen and have collected so much content out there with, you know, thieves or burglars that are looking to break into homes that always hit the doorbell before they get in to see if anyone's home. Uh, and because it is a connected device over Wi-Fi, you can see it from anywhere in the world and actually respond to um, let them know that you are home, even if you're not. And because of that, um you know, these houses have been protected. So I really, really love their mission of helping kind of protect uh, families at their home and, and they do that with a, a, such a beautiful product.
1: Chad, most new products and companies do not survive. What is the success rate for the new companies that you bring into retail distribution?
2: The, the, the biggest thing for new brands um, is, is trying to make sure that you can communicate that story effectively to a consumer. If brands aren't advertising in traditional kind of ways or, you know, viral through um, through, you know, Facebook or, or, or PR or whatnot, it's hard for consumers to kind of understand why uh, they would buy that product and, and what the the benefits truly are unless they, they actually pick it up and, and look at it. And trying to convert a customer to pick up a brand new product they've never uh, seen or heard of before uh, is is very hard. Um, so our role is to make sure that that message and that those features and benefits of those brands are clearly um, communicated to consumers when they walk through the store. And there's a number of ways you can do that through signage, through video, um, and and other ways through um, some of the, the retailers' apps that we work with uh, as well. But yeah, we, we very much try to understand uh, and, and make sure that our brands are also helping promote their story and mission across you know different different means. Uh, we we definitely see a lot of success when brands start to venture into more traditional forms of advertising. Um, you know, the very basics still can cons- considerably work well um, and and help convert to sales. I think the big miss we see for a lot of brands is. Uh, is kind of stuffing the channel and and, and what I mean by that is um, going into retail with an aggressive forecast um, that might not translate to what the retailer has seen in the past and you know often at times you can walk into a retail store and see a, a product that's in there and we do something what we call the dust test where you run your finger over the packaging to see uh, how long it might have been sitting there, and if you've got a lot of dust in your hands, then it has been sitting there for a while. Is it isn't moving? And the challenge with that is generally in, in, the, in, in retail, with in most retailers, in inventory that hasn't moved quick or is still sitting there at the end of a program generally is either coming back to the brand or it's being marked down. And when you're doing markdowns, the brand has to help uh, fund that. And that can be a costly exercise, for any young brand, uh, or if it's coming back, it can be disastrous. Um, if you put 10,000 units out there in retail and you only sell 1,000 units, you've got 9,000 units coming back, and that, that can be um, that could be the end of some companies. So we really try to make sure that when a new brand is entering a, a mass retailer, like Target or Best Buy or others, to uh, go about it carefully and to continue to learn um, from you know a small subset of stores to a and then grow that to a large uh, group of stores. But take that learning as we go to make sure that that consumer in that store is willing to pay the price for it and, and clearly understands what it is. And if it is successful, then we will go to a full chain rollout.
1: Chad, given your unique role in helping entrepreneurs get access to retail distribution, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on how often companies need to pivot, when they first get the product distributed and get customer feedback. Most new entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. From your perspective, how often do you see founders needing to pivot their company or product, either from a marketing messaging or a product feature standpoint, Based on consumer or retail buyer feedback.
2: Yeah, I think the the um, I think it's a great question. The the um, I'd say product features and reviews have become everything um, for for every new startup. Um, I've heard of um, startups where engineers are um, uh, kind of bonused based upon the Amazon uh, review scorecard um, from consumers. Uh, anything below uh, three and a half is is bad you better be running for the hills or you better quickly help fix it to get it back up to over four um, so when when you know I get it right like when you're when you're a founder and you're making a product your life is inside building that product and pushing out what you believe to be the best possible product out there and so you' you're tired I mean you're biased to it because you live it every single day um, you know we see a lot of a lot of instances where you know, first-gen products that are going out there maybe didn't get the same reaction to friends and family um, or people around your company and because of that, they then have to react quickly to update feature sets, um, you know, add in more functionality to the product um, you know, consumer reviews are real. They don't lie. They tell you how it is. And if they have a bad experience, they're going to make you, make you aware of it. And so we do often at times see that happen, especially with first-gen products. Um, but uh, it's credit to the companies that react quick to it um, that can help kind of repair uh, or fix maybe some initial problems or bugs that the first product had to make sure that the, the customer experience next time is, is flawless.
1: How many brands do you work with currently with The Stable? So,
2: you know, we've been in business about 15 months or so now. Um, our portfolio is roughly 60-odd brands now that we represent every day. Uh, and that's anywhere from a small two-person startup up to a large, you know, multinational brand.
1: And how many employees do you have there at The Stable?
2: Uh, we're at 13 people now, uh, which I'm really proud of. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think that... Uh, you know our team here would scale that quick, um, but the reaction that we've had from the industry and from retail has been really positive, and uh, you know we continue to sign um, you know really great and exciting brands every single week. So because of that, we've been able to you know bring on uh, more resources here, and we definitely have aggressive growth plans over the next twelve months.
0: Tell me how.
1: So Chad, here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Chad, since this is really your area of expertise, in this podcast episode, I want to dig deeper on the topic of selling new products to retailers. What are the keys to success for new products at retail?
2: You know, I think that there's a, there's a couple of keys to success. You and I could talk hours for this. Uh, I think, um, you know, the first one is making sure that uh, the product stands out in the environment that it lives. If it goes into a store like Target, most oftentimes you won't be able to get a display or additional messaging, you know, uh, around your product, especially for, for, um, uh, for it sitting in line with hundreds of other items. So how does it stand out? You know, packaging is key. Um, uh, we we believe um, packaging can can turn your eye quickly if it's well designed, um, and if it's clearly communicated on the front of the box exactly what it is and why it's beneficial. Um, that that's that's step one. Um, price point is number two. Um, it's hard to sometimes justify s- consumers spending. Um, a premium for a product that um, only provides a, a small amount of feature than, than traditional products. Um, so making sure your pricing is in line um, with the market um, is, is definitely um, going to make you more successful. Um, consumers, especially if you think about Target, right? Like my wife and I go into Target with the kids and we have a cart full of 200 or $300 worth of groceries. Um, you know by that point I'm like mad because we've spent so much money and if we're walking through the rest of the store and I see a product that's interesting but is a really significant price to what I see the value to be it's very hard for me to justify even t- in trying that product so I'm definitely not saying that you know you should price your products low but I absolutely believe that the products pricing should be kind of kept in a, in a reasonable um, uh you know, price range for, for the average consumer. Um, I I think that's, that, that's those two steps, packaging and price still. And that's like, there's no surprises there. It's been like that forever. But I think those are two of the first points that I definitely touch on for a lot of young entrepreneurs that, that are making product.
1: On the topic of pricing, when you go with a new company to present the products to retailers in some of these larger retail stores what sort of feedback do you get from retail buyers on pricing? Remember that we're right now talking to budding entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, some of which will be doing that shortly. So I'm wondering what can we educate them on about what to expect about the pricing topic when meeting with retail buyers?
2: You know, if, if it's, uh, if it's way out of whack to what the market is um, and it's much higher than what the average looks like, even if it is a different sort of solution, um, the founder or the entrepreneur has to justify that in a retail meeting. Why is this $199 where everything else in my assortment is 59 to 99 this is this is double the price of my most expensive item and there's only two features to it that truly make it unique and do those two features really warrant an extra hundred dollars right and I think you know we try to prep founders and startups as best as we can before those meetings to make them aware that there's some of the questions that retail is going to ask you on pricing you know why is it priced where it is and, and and what what data have you have you seen so far? So, you know, lots of companies are, are raising money on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, CircleUp right now, and they are getting pre-orders or, or lots of interest. So that data is certainly helpful as we go into these conversations, um, because they can come in and say, hey, we've sold three million dollars, four million dollars of pre-orders on Kickstarter at this hundred and ninety-nine dollar. Price And based on the features that it provides and the, and the, the difference that it makes to someone's life and, and, and how better it is than, than existing products you carry, uh, that's certainly a really good argument for why it should be priced that way.
1: I've been a mentor to some companies that have approached Target, as well as I've presented my product in the past to Target as well and some of the larger retailers. And it's interesting for me to experience going into those situations where I might have a product priced at twenty dollars because that's how I make my money and cover my margins and so on. And yet Target can sit there and say we need that ten dollar price point to be, or what did I say, twenty dollars? We might we'll need that price point to be at uh twelve ninety nine or something. And it's so easy for them to say that. And then, of course, my team and I, we go back and really think about that and realize, boy, that really changes everything for us. And, of course, all the risk going into the big uh, player like that, it gets really challenging.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's the other thing to consider is margin. You know, what margin is built in at the price point that you've built? If it's a small margin, it, it, it makes things even even tougher. Um, and it's really, you know, here's the thing, retail, retailers don't always have it right. I mean, um, QVC told us we were crazy to have a $30 power strip at, at, at when we were at Quirky. And, um, you know, but we, we believe that that was the, the right price that, that consumers would pay. And, you know, fast forward three years and they're selling hundreds and hundreds of thousands of units uh, of it a year. Um, so I think the approach that we generally take with a lot of our brands is, um, if they do, if the retailer does push back and say, "Hey, the twenty dollars should really be twelve ninety nine, if the brand can do it and they believe in in um, in that or, or hear it frequently from other retailers, then that's up to them to decide if they can actually uh, do that. Now, sometimes if scale can happen uh, at manufacturing, then costs will come down and maybe they can hit that twelve ninety nine price. But if they can't and that's impossible, then it's it's. Um, it's kind of uh, our, our role to step in and maybe see if there's a medium there that we could work on. And maybe there's a testing environment like uh, instead of going into all 1,800 target stores, let's go into 50 or 100 stores and let's test it at that $20 price point to see you know, if consumers are willing to pay it, and if they do, and the numbers look good, they will get rolled out to all stores at that twenty-dollar price. And we have proven retail wrong. Um, now, that doesn't always happen, but that's that's definitely an approach that we take if uh, we find that the the, the founders are, are, are dead set on that twenty-dollar price point and can't move much below that.
1: So, Chad, creating awareness and demand is really challenging for small startups. Most of them have small marketing budgets. How do you go about advising these companies to support their product on the retail shelf and get them off the shelf by consumers?
2: Yeah, so we're doing lots of studies here on just consumer behavior and uh, you know, what drives uh, purchase. Um, so we're, we're working uh, on a number of different projects and initiatives here um, to help figure out how the box on the shelf can convert to getting in the cart. Uh, In addition to that, you know, we really try to dig in with each brand that we talk with about just their general marketing plan uh, overall. Uh, Where are they spending the money? Where are they seeing the most success? Um, If they don't have those monster budgets like a lot of the big brands do, that's okay, right? Lots of brands have been built um, through, you know, social and digital. Look at Dollar Shave Club. Um, you know companies like that that have built really good, compelling awareness and content that um, you know consumers are excited about. So we really try to kind of understand where the brands looking to spend. Um, you know, Facebook ads have been a huge, huge thing in the last twelve months with a lot of the brands and young brands we work with. They're reasonably um, reasonably priced. They're highly effective, and you know they're on a platform that everyone uses twenty-five times an hour. Um, and you know, people walk into stores and they see that product that pops up on their Facebook feed every day and uh and, and are willing to try it. If they've read about it in, in PR, I couldn't stress PR enough. If you're a startup listening, get a really good PR person, whether that's an agency or or, or an employee has got really good contacts nationally, I couldn't stress that enough, that is the best form of advertising as a young company you can get, um, uh, and the more awareness that is out there in tech blogs or in magazines or newspapers or, or anything, the more content and excitement is, that's creating around your brand, the better the sell-through retail is going to be.
0: Let's get personal
1: So, Chad, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business but never start one. It seems to be all show and no go. And starting a business is special and, frankly, really unusual. What motivates a guy like you, Chad Hetherington, to stop just talking about launching a business and actually go out and start it, start a business such as The Stable, Do you think it was your destiny to start a business like The Stable?
2: I've been a startup guy since I was 17. Uh, I've either uh, had my own or worked within. Uh, I've never worked for a large company, so I believe it was my destiny to be involved with startups in in some capacity and to find uh, and understand what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. Uh, I feel that this is the time. Uh, that this is the right thing that I should be doing. Um, The network that I've built over the years has served me well. And, uh, you know, I'm able to um, work with really good people that complement what I do. I think for me, it just got down to time. I spent um, many, many years surrounded by inspiring entrepreneurs like Ben Kaufman at Quirky, people that constantly motivated me. Um, every single day to want to go out one day and start my own company. And and the minute that I figured out my business model is when I started putting it in place.
1: What have been your biggest joys or what have you been most proud of along your entrepreneurial journey?
2: Um, I think just how much I've learned. Uh, I never went to college. Um, I wasn't that great in school. Um, I I always went after something because I was passionate about doing it and about learning from it. I, never, I always knew that I didn't have the answers and that I would learn it along the way, um, but looking back in the last 17 years that I've been working, um, I'm, just, I'm probably just most proud about how far I've come and how much I've learned um, because if you looked at me when I was 17 years old, you, you probably would not think that
1: at all. What have been your biggest frustrations? Uh, the biggest
2: frustrations for me, uh, I think is just, uh, I tend to work pretty quickly. I like to kind of cut to the chase and, um, get straight to it. Um, you know, I think the biggest frustration has just been, you know, waiting on people that don't work as quickly as I do. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I, I respond quickly. Um, I like to get things done quick. I I still believe that, that it happens if it happens quick, it can still get done well quick. Um, but you know, waiting around, um, is probably the biggest frustration or waiting on answers. I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't be more frustrated with that than anything else.
1: Chad, many entrepreneurs, even seasoned and successful ones, experience self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had, if at all, and what has triggered it?
2: Uh, I have bad days like everyone else. Um... And, uh, you know, some days you can get home and just feel like you just suck at your job and, you know, this whole thing is stupid and I shouldn't have done it and why did I do this? Um, and, and that just comes from having, this, and that just, that just happens from having bad days, like everyone else. Um, but, you know, I get over it. Uh, I've got a really good group of people and entrepreneurs around me. You know, I represent 60 or 70 brands. Uh, a lot of whom I work directly with their founders. And so you know, even though they are clients, they're also entrepreneurs that are going through exactly the same that I'm going through. So if I do have a bad day, I know that I can call one of them uh, or text one of them and uh, you know, just start to feel better about what I'm doing um, because I, I live it every day. You know? If I don't have self-doubt, then um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm learning or that I'm you know, gaining momentum. Um, I, I have to have it.
1: Starting a new business is very difficult, Chad, as you know. How has starting your own business or businesses changed you as a person, if at all?
2: Yeah, um, it's, it's made me more humble in a way because uh, I realize how hard it is uh, and how much work and how much of your life goes into it um, you know, and how much, how much you sacrifice for starting your own business. Um, so I'm I'm I probably I probably have a different perspective of life now than I than I ever did Um, I think I think just in general you know uh, I'm um, uh, I continue to stay curious and and that's all I care for Um, and you know in the early days when you're young and you want to do it because you think you can make lots of money that's not the answer anymore you know I just want to be continually happy and, and continually learning uh, every step of the way. And the minute that I'm not, then I feel like I'm going to be done. But uh, I'm very fortunate that over the last 17 years, I've, I've just continued to learn a lot.
1: What have you learned most about yourself in starting a business?
2: Probably the biggest one is, uh, I've learned is, is that I know I can do it. Uh, which is always the, the biggest question when you go to start a company, can I actually pull this off? Um, I, I think that um, I think that mixed with, with a, a drive that I never knew that I had. Um, you know, I, again, I was always doing this because I was passionate about the work, um, not because I was training myself to be a really good salesperson or an entrepreneur. I think, I think drive was the biggest one, I, I, I learned I had drive and I didn't know that when I started.
1: Who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally?
2: You know, my parents for sure, you know, I grew up in um, blue collar family, my dad was a mechanic, my mom didn't work. Um, you know, they, they pushed me when I was younger to make smart decisions and to go after doing what I love. You know, I couldn't be doing this today without them. I have to say my wife because she's also, um, you know, part of this company with me today. Um, She's just as much of an entrepreneur as myself and, uh, you know, is there by my side every single day. Professionally as well, um, you know, two people that I look up to most is Ben Kaufman from Quirky, who was my boss there. He's a phenomenal young entrepreneur. Nothing gets in his way and nothing, no idea is, is, is big enough. Uh, he he's always trying to tackle you know really big problems in the world, um, and, and I admire him for that. Someone I've never, well, I have met once, but don't know him personally is Richard Branson from Virgin. I love his style. I love the company that that he's built, the brand that he's built, and uh, you know I think the the culture in which the Virgin Group um, uh, has is exactly the type of culture we want here at the stable.
1: Finally, Chad, in closing, did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs?
2: You know, my only piece of advice for entrepreneurs is to, um, you know, uh, stay stay on the path that, that you set. You know, don't give up. Um, every day is another day. And, and to constantly... Um, Constantly be out there telling your story because your story matters and people want to hear it and, you know, don't stop. And, and even if this startup isn't the right one, that's okay. If you get knocked down, uh, your next one's going to be just as big. Um, and, 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 you know, don't let a failure um, uh, affect, affect your life because failures are, are what makes you better.
1: Chad, you've been an an outstanding guest offering juicy tidbits of advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.